Welcome to episode 721 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 121 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. And you? Are you warm enough? I'm just warm enough. Just warm enough. You got you got all your tights on? I've got my tights you on. Look, you look like a bit of a robber. So I'm all, all in black. All in black. Can't see the city this morning. Can't. Uh, no, cannot. It's, it's all going in the studios today, team. This week, I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Our fantastic patrons. You go first, Jumbo. Stuart Quantum Leap Mills. Oh, was it Tweaky? Remember you used to have that machine that you'd always slap? Oh, I didn't really watch Quantum Leap Did much. you not watch Quantum no, Leap? Occasionally. That was a great show. Yeah. Oh boy. That's what he'd say. He'd always get in trouble when he'd go, oh boy, and then he'd go to the ads. Um, we've got Hugh, I'm sorry, Owen, the Sledge Master Hughes. And Justin, the Snake Farley. Okay, and this week's show we've got some news. We've got a hot topic, great hot topic of the week. Absolutely, may go down as the best one of all time. a little bit, but we'll, we'll cover best, it. Best of, oh, best of all time, pro of the week. Got a great interview. Who's the interview with, John? We have. We've got an inter- interview talking around sort of the not gut, necessarily gut health, but gut performance with Patrick uh, Patrick Wilson, Doctor Patrick Wilson. So, new book that's come out. And John highly recommends the book. So it's okay. good as well. Uh, Winger of the Week questions announced at the end. John, there's actually a bit of news this week. It's kind of not the kind of news we want to see all the time, but there's some stuff happening. And the first piece of news is that the qualification for the 70.3 World Championships can now be done virtually. But John was saying it'd be pretty good to get one of these qualifications. It'd be, you have to be very good. So the, for those that haven't seen it, there's now the ne- over the next four races, three of which are sort of Olympic distance duathlons, one of which is a half Ironman, uh, you can now qualify for the 70.3 World Champs. Where and when that's going to be held is unknown. Uh, so well, They are still saying New Zealand. Yeah. No, cause in the, so we'll talk a little bit later on about the five ways they will be bringing racing back. In the video that Andrew Messick did, it's a promo, he did say when we we're not sure about when we have our world champs in Hawaii and New Zealand. Hmm. So, so uh, yeah, you're right. Who knows what happens next in this world? But so, so we did mention this last week, but it's been quite a bit of um, water under the bridge since then. Uh, so they've come out with the rules on how this is actually going to to happen. If you do want to be in the championship race, if you just want to go and complete the distance, tick it off, treat it as a challenge, no problem. But if you want to be amongst the competitive side of it and potentially go for one of those spots, here are some of the key rules. And people are up in arms, Bevan. You go on the poor old Ironman. I, I think they're trying. They're, they're doing. I think they've done. They've ticked as many boxes as you practically can do yep. without being stupid about this. Yep. Uh, so the key rules are, must be done on Ruby. Uh, so that means you're all doing the same course. Yep, Sounds fair enough. pretty fair to me. Yep. Um, runs must be outside and not net downhill. And so, yeah, again, people sort of argued, oh, what if somebody just goes, like if Bevan did it from his place, he'd write the first 4K, would be straight downhill, yep. and then he'd be onto the flat, and he'd absolutely smoke it. So Although, you can't net downhill. it'd be a horrible warm-up. It would be a horrible warm-up, <laughs> but you can get you're right, speed. there is an advantage. Um, you also must have, but why would you complain about that? That's stupid. What, what, what's the, have you heard people complain about that? Oh, people have done all sorts of things. But what are they complaining about that about? Well, because then they'll, people will cheat. And they'll, no, no, but why, why would people say that you shouldn't do that? Why? Because it's faster. No, you no, no, but time. are people complaining that they've put that rule in? 
No, they're just generally complaining oh, about everything. Okay, okay, they're good. saying that people could do that and then oh. they'll win the race. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, they're basically complaining that everybody's going to cheat. Uh, you must have some history, either a race previously in a VR event or have done an Ironman or a 70.3 result. So this is the way where you can sort of validate the results saying, come on, mate, you've just done yeah. 4 hours 30 here. Your first Ironman was 17 hours and you've done 8.30. What's, yeah. what's all that about? So that's the kind of a little bit of quality control yep. without going crazy. Um, this is the, probably the one contentious one for me, but it's good that they've come up with a, sort of a halfway step here, is you need to do it in a run-bike-run format, and it needs to be done within 12 hours. So I'm not quite sure why they have chosen 12 hours. I would rather see it that you have to do it more or less continuously. Uh, so I guess the downside for that is if we said, and again, if I use Bevan as example, if you only had two minutes to do, start your run off your bike, you've got no choice but to go up or downhill. And people yeah. that live in similar sort of environments have, that have got to go somewhere, maybe there should be some sort of leeway in terms of how long it is between finishing your bike and uh, doing your run or vice versa, finishing your run and starting your bike. But 12 hours seems... A little bit on the high side, I'd like to see that number a little bit closer, so it is more or less a duathlon event. Um, you need to use an approved smart trainer, so you can't just jump on and use a, a dumb trainer, so they've got their list of smart trainers, and you can't stop your watch for breaks, uh, so if you're running along and you need to go to the toilet, you can't just stop your watch, you, you can, can go to the pants. toilet, you, pee your, pants. you pee your pants, you can poo your pants, you can do whatever you want, but you can't stop your watch. So I like the look of most of that, and... Uh, it just seems every sixth everybody's going to cheat. It's like, really? Is that what our sport's come to, where everybody just thinks everyone's a cheat? Come on. Well, so let's talk about how you can cheat, John, because if you want to do it, let's do it right. So, yeah. and so, so there are some ways that John's identified you can cheat. First of all, get someone else to do your race. Now, that happened in Formula One virtual racing, didn't it? Oh, it wasn't Formula One, but it was virtual car racing yeah. online. Yes. Yeah. So, oh, no, it was the E series. It was the yeah, virtual it was. E. Yeah, That's it was right. Formula E series. So in the Formula E series, one guy's video went down. It turns out he got a guy who was one of the world champion e-racers, so like a, a gamer, to do his race. Came in like third, I think it was. Yeah. What a schmuck. Yeah. And then now he's lost his driver's license. He's, he's no longer, his team dumped him. Yeah. And the same thing's going to happen here. In theory, you could get someone else to do your race. You'd have to be pretty onto it in terms of making sure that their heart rate and everything correlates to your previous performances. But in theory, you could do that. Um, Manipulate the data? Yep, and, and there's various tools online that you oh, can you do can, that to, to bump up your data. I've never done it before, so I don't know too much about it. Get assistance on the run? You could bike the run. You could, in theory. I don't know whether it's got to pick up cadence or anything like that. In terms oh, no, because it depends on what tool you use, doesn't it? Yeah, so in theory, you could bike on the run, or you could have somebody um, going along giving you a little bit of a push or giving you a tow rope or something like that. Yep. So there's various ways you can do, do that. Um, you could also put your incorrect weight into Ruby, um, but I think they've got, again, it's a, a little system there that you should be following, but again, you, that's one another way you could cheat. Um, other points that might not be fair is the fact that trainers are um, not necessarily 100% accurate, but I mean, yeah, uh, so there is variability between trainers, so people's power outputs might not be exactly what you'd see out on the road. Yeah. Uh, and then one thing that's not necessarily fair, you can't do anything about it, is different conditions for the run. So if you've got somebody in, I don't know, Abu Dhabi or something that's got to run in 45 degree heat versus somebody in New Zealand who is running in this isn't 10 degree fair, heat. But, uh, they're not selling this fair, fair, are they? It's, nah, that's not necessarily fair, but that's uh, life. First, they've got to, uh, what bugs me is, is a, they've got to come up with a 13 page document just to make this bloody thing happen. Wow. Like seriously? And they've got to do it because there's 
there's enough dipshits out there that are going to try <laughs> yeah, to man- manipulate the system. <laughs> but rule number one in the Ironman book is basically practice good sportsmanship at all good time at all times. Yep. So I think um, I think it's a great idea. Uh, I just think so. These this is how you're going to get those 75, 75 slots. Yep. So it's, it's and is it age group based? Uh, yep, and so it's basically like creating another race, you know. This yeah. is, but uh, there's a point system, and I think you've got to do three of the four races. You count, I think it was three of the four races count, and the half iron distance race is sort of double points. So I think it's great. Uh, I don't know what everybody's moaning and groaning about. It's only 75 slots. It's got to do something. And, and, and like normally, we'd be the first to jump on the moves. Oh, they're giving away slots. For, you know, there's no races. Yeah. They've got to do something. And the 70.3 worlds, there is an abundance of race yeah. uh, of, of slots available. If this was Kona slots, I'd be going, hmm. But it might get to that point it, as well. It may well get to that point. Uh, and I think they've done, within reason, what they can do and to make sure this is fair. if you're thinking about cheating, stop being a schmuck. Yeah. You don't be a schmuck. You don't do the sport to cheat. You know, you do the sport to grow and have fun and do have cool experiences and challenge yourself. So if, if this cheat. was for the pros different story then you could bring in things like weigh-in and video evidence of you doing events but when you've got however many thousands of people doing it that's not practical to do that so I think they've taken within reason good steps um, for those that don't race on Zwift before there's this thing called Zwift Power which is um, I'm pretty sure it's just independently operated um, sort of website that collates all your data and it creates kind of like a biological passport of your performances and that's one great way of uh, weeding out cheats uh, okay. and so you know, they could start to bring this in a bit more but it's still pretty new and I'm pretty comfortable with what they're doing and again 75 slots for a race that's going to have you know thousands and thousands of males of females it doesn't really sell out you see these gigantic roll downs at events and I'm telling you those slots You've them. Incredibly it, it, it hard cheats. to get. You've them. How, it's, how far it rolls, who knows? But I'm looking at this going, I reckon I'd have absolutely no chance. Here's a question for you, John. It's totally random, totally off point, but kind of interesting. Maybe it could be a discussion of the week. Where do you think will be the first Ironman race? Uh, and when and where? You've got to think in New Zealand, don't you? No, I think we'll see something in Europe and the States later in the year. Oh, you do? Yeah, definitely. Okay. There was a short discussion. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking mass gatherings in the state. Well, there's some mass gatherings right happen right now, sadly. But um, the states in Europe seem a bit behind New Zealand. Mm. You know, like because when we, we'll probably start seeing June. racing in the next two months in New Zealand, maybe even sooner. Oh no, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, a virtual result. So we did have some, some more of those pro races happening uh, this last weekend. We had uh, the female and the and this was this the overall John. What this here? was a seventy. They raced over the bike on the seventy point three Indian Wells in Lincantana. So they raced raced ninety kilometres. Emma Pallant uh, took out the females race from Jocelyn McCauley. Only about a minute in it. And a minute in it. I know. <laughs> and again, pretty close racing. About a minute between Sam Long. Was there a and minute in it too? Uh, no, it was less than a minute. <laughs> less than a minute in it. Fifty-two <laughs> seconds. Uh, between Sam Long Patrick and Patrick Lang, a two-time world champion, got beaten by the first two females. Patrick Lang did. You know, was sixteen minutes behind. Yeah, he's not the Uber cyclist, but, but he won the the this this race here was uh, the sort of championship of champions of champions. So they brought together four previous winners. So Patrick Lang had won a race. So maybe he either had a an off day, didn't put in a hundred percent, or had some sort of uh, e mechanical. I didn't watch the coverage. 
Oh, Patrick Lee, the most unrespected champion of all time. <laughs> He's uh, not getting in the top three this year. <laughs> yes. There was also um, some Zwift racing uh, for pro triathletes. I'm not going to spoil it because I think it's worth a watch. It's an uphill finish. They race on the Innsbruck course. Was it a good watch? Uh I can just have it on in the background, and the good thing with this one was it was an uphill finish. So you had they did multiple laps of this little Innsbruck um, course, and then they had a long, about, I think it's about a six or seven k climb. So it was a bit more action rather than just a sprint finish. So if you're doing a trainer session, go and watch uh, Zwift Live Pro Triathletes from last week in Innsbruck. We're putting a rewind clock on, John. We're jumping in the the DeLorean, going back one year mm-hmm. to Ironman Brazil in 2019, and. A bit of a legend of the sport, one of the greatest swimmers ever of the sport, by the name of Andy Potts, took out the men's race. And so often we'd go, Andy Potts, blast of the past, but he's, has he done anything lately? But it's only a year ago, yeah, winning a race. And, and a good good race, 802. Yeah, 45 minute swim, 419 on the bike, and 253 on the run for an 802, beating out Will Clark by about three and a half minutes, and Frank Silverstrand from Brazil, uh, another four minutes back. And then on the female's side, Fantastic race by Sarah Pampiano. She ran a 2.53. Same as Andy Potts. She yeah. actually beat Andy Potts in the yeah. run. Yeah, so that's impressive. She came home in 8.40.48 with a dojo domination of 23 minutes over Pamela <laughs> Oliveira. It is impressive, isn't it? She's a miserable swimmer, though. 58 minutes. <laughs> and and <laughs> put it in perspective, 58 minutes... The guys were most of the guys were doing sort of forty fives. Pamela Oliveira, who got second, was eleven minutes in front of her out of the swim. So that's an impressive bike run combo. Two fifty three, solid. That is awesome. Okay, I'm in Brazil. What won't be happening this year? Uh, other news. Okay, so this is an interesting one actually. So Roy Roy Spicer sent through an article from Top Class Actions, which is a website that's devoted to law lawsuits in America because that's how America they love their lawsuits in America, and uh, basically saying that there's been uh, a class action lawsuit put against Iron Man and Rock and Roll Marathon series for not providing refunds during the COVID nineteen, uh, and it's, it's a pretty interesting article when you read it, John, because. They're kind of screwed really, aren't they? Either way. Well, the the plaintiff is Michaela Ellenwood. So she registered for the Rock and Roll Marathon Half Marathon Race in San Francisco, California, which was supposed to take place on the 5th of April. She claims she paid $89 plus a $14.99 processing fee. I hate those processing fees. Just make it $105. I'm, it ha- I'm happy to pay that. And $14 for a processing fee. Come on. It's an automated computer system. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> to participate in the race. Uh, and so she's basically got a case against it now. I'm probably going to be a bit of a hypocrite because I'm organising races as well and at the moment I've postponed race and haven't offered refunds f- for that race. And again, this is one which is, you know, like, 70 bucks to enter or something like that but I think you've got a fair point if you're paying a thousand bucks and you haven't uh, had a race for an Ironman or something like that and for them not to offer any refund I reckon uh, you've got a fair case to say come on you should be doing something here because you're not if you're not even holding the race yeah you've incurred a lot of costs but you haven't incurred 100% of your costs yeah it's a really difficult I uh, I, I remember before lockdown one of my runners who is a bit of a tight ass, <laughs> complained to me um, about, well, not complained, just said, you know, should we be expecting something back from races? Now, he had entered races that were close. Mm. So literally like they're happening in the next kind of three or four weeks. And so I was kind of of the opinion, well, you know, it's next week. It's a bit, you know, whereas if they're cancelling race now, 
they've had plenty of time. It's a bit different. Oh, I don't know. It's a hard one. Mm. It really is a hard one. In this article, they've got common questions of the law and uh, the fact that I mean class, race classes, lawsuits are. First of all, whether the defendants are required to give a refund rather than allow class members to participate in future races, whether defendants conducted breaches, conduct breaches contracts formed between class members and defendants, and whether the plaintiff and class members are entitled to injunctive uh, relief damages or attorney's fees. So those are the questions that need to be answered in this process. Mm. If, if, well, the, the, like it's the airline's problem, isn't it? Yeah. You know, one thing we're seeing in New Zealand right now, we've got our national carrier in New Zealand, which is a great business. It's suffering like all airlines. Um, and they are getting a bit of stick because they're not giving refunds. And mm. people are saying, well, back it up, give us a refund. But then also some of their policies aren't that good. Because I, now I haven't done, I could get this wrong So I haven't because I haven't done my research on this. But I've heard like, so John and I bought our trip to Hawaii. Mm. We, we don't need to go now. Mm. And if they open up for Hawaii, we're kind of screwed. We have to go. Mm-hmm. But I've heard they'll give you the refund, but then you can only use that refund on one flight. So you can't mix it up. You can't use that, that value. Right. You know, yep. so lots of people are kind of throwing a bit of a fuss about that, which I get. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a pretty difficult time, isn't it? It is. My kind of attitude, if I've entered a race, if it's a small event, yeah, know, small local. 100 bucks, you just go, that's a sunk cost. Yep. If it, but if I'd paid 1000 bucks to enter a race and they weren't offering any refund... I'd be a bit aggrieved myself. Well, what if, what if they're saying you come next year? If as long as it fit in, but if it didn't fit in, say you'd, I don't know, we've got one listener, Alan Bryson, moved to the UK. Um, if you can't do Iron Man New Zealand. Who'd you say? Alan Bryson. Who's Alan Bryson? Alan Bryson, he's a, he's a listener of the show, he used to live in Nelson, moved over to the UK, back to the UK. You've been stalking him. No, I haven't. Oh, Alan, um, he's stalking you, mate, he's stalking you. So, in his situation... Uh, f- for, um, and Alan, this is no, Alan hasn't ended Alan the race. Hasn't complained. Uh, hasn't made a complaint at all. But that's just one example. If you cannot do the race, and then why not? Yeah. Or, if, or if you'd entered Ironman New Zealand and you were based in um, America and you can't come and do it next year because of I don't know circumstances. So, but here is the question: Who has to cover the costs? Is it you, the athlete, has to cover the cost of the race not going ahead, or is it the organizer? Well, that's where the, you've got to meet in the middle, I think, um, for the, for those big ticket bigger ticket races because they. They haven't had to do all the setup. They haven't had to pay all their contractors. And again, yeah, like yeah. if they don't give you the money back, they yeah. are making profit off you. Totally. Yeah, they are making profit off a bad mm. situation. Mm. But if they're putting the race on and they give you the entry, then you are still getting it, and it's probably a higher cost to them. Mm. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky. This is the thing: is this moment has cost everybody. Mm. You know, there is an unfortunate time to this. Okay, John Ironman has announced when racing comes, what is going to be the policy around a safe return to racing? And I've kind of came up with five rules around what they are. John, have you got them in front of you? I'm just getting them up now. So okay. it's it's really just pretty, basic pretty stuff. similar guidelines to what we've experienced in an everyday sort of life in terms of the things they're working off, enhanced hygiene. So we're going to see lots more hand washing, hand sanitizer, screening and education. So they're going to try to tell us what to do. Um, density reduction, that's an interesting one. So they're going to um, obviously decrease the numbers of athletes and support personnel, um, touch point minimization, and then athlete self-reliance. So they're going to this try is the big to- one, isn't it? Yeah, they're just going to try to make athletes a bit more self-reliant, so you might have to... Less aid stations. Yeah, less aid stations, and might be encouraging things like wearing hydration vests and stuff like that, so you can go through much more of the race without having to rely on aid stations, and uh, yeah, so that's all fine. Not that interesting, really. Yeah, and how long will it last? You know, fingers crossed, not that long. Uh, Okay, that's kind of cool, and then next up on the piece of news, ITU, long course 
World Distance Championships have been postponed. Uh, all planned locations bumped through to by a year. So this well, was going to be in Townsville and... Uh, no, so well, this is going to be interesting to see if this transferred across to Ironman because um, so the World Long Distance Champs was supposed to be held in Aldmera in uh, the Holland this year um, and they've got cancelled which is not not surprising. The race may still go ahead but it's not going to be the ITU World Champs um, but what they've done in this circumstance Everything they've got the next three years planned out. So said, everything's on. bumped on, bumped yep. on a year on a year. So that would be interesting to see if that happens with the say the seventy point three worlds where they just go okay, ta- no no world champs this year. Boom, bumping ha, it to twenty twenty one. That's probably an easy solution because like if you're meant to be doing, I can't remember. Have they announced where the twenty twenty one? Yeah, one's uh, pretty sure it's. In, George, I think, is one of them, and there's I think there's one other one as well. Because I can't imagine the cities have made that much of a commitment yet. No, there'll be a financial commitment in their budgets, but um, that's about as far as it would have gone. I you know, so it seems like a pretty easy solution to kind mm. of go. Like, to be honest, wouldn't New Zealand find it pretty cool if we could have it at the same time next year? Oh, yeah, it'd be heaps better. Yeah, so that's definitely a thing. And last up, I put a random news: a double-decker dose of crazy, John. I just saw this on uh, WhatsApp, which is sort of a female's. Um, Focus on on triathletes, and this was from sometime last year. The, the article's only just gone up, but there was an athlete, uh, Laura Noblash. Uh, she did a double decker, and so when you do the decker, like you can do say uh, an Ironman a day for however long you want to keep going. Whether you do a decker or a double decker, so, so it's 20, 10, 20 10, days. Yeah. This would be, uh, or you can do it continuously, uh, where you do the full swim, the full bike and the full run. So if you want to go and read about that, go to witsup.com, and it's not a, a long article, but she had to swim 76 k's, bike 3,600 k's, and then run eight, 844 kilometres. It was done in Mexico, where they have a race there every year, sort of a decker type one, and she broke the world record, smashed it. Smashed it, bro. Very impressive. How much would I have to pay you to do that? Um... Quite a significant. If I paid you ten thousand dollars, no, I mean I need six digits at least. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm needing six digits. Come on, if I said fifty, you'd do it. No, fifty thousand bucks. Twenty of these, those. No, I think I'd need six digits. No, I reckon if if, if, I, if, I, win, if I win the big Wednesday, mm. if I win Lotto, which ain't gonna happen because I don't buy Lotto, mm. but if I do, there's some a bit of a challenge. Some some reason I somehow win. I'm offering you fifty k. Fifty k. Yep, I I think you take fifty. I get 10. I get 10's a problem. I get it. 20. Yeah. You know, you start to think, but 50k. Oh, yeah. You know, get, get, get that new extension on the house, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's six digits as well, which is why that's <laughs> not happening right now. Okay, there, there we go. Uh, one cool piece of news for New Zealand Triathlon. Uh, the legend that is John Hellermans, who we've had on this show, and we've also had on Legends of Triathlon recently, actually, and brought out his book uh, about a year ago as well, so you can check out his book. Uh, he was honoured on the New Zealand's Queen's Birthday Honorary list. So we had a, a public holiday yesterday. Why we still celebrate the Queen's birthday? Well, I was talking to a, a, a guy at the gym who's a pom. And he's like, we don't have a Queen's birthday. Yeah, so we had Queen's birthday yesterday. was a day off and they released the list of all the honoraries. And, uh, you, you know, rightly so, you get all the people who've worked in different fields, whether it be literature, whether it be medicine, whatever. And they always have uh, a bunch of sporting people. And John Hellmans was one of those uh, and got recognised, which was great. Here's my theory, John. Mm. We keep Waitangi Day because it's important because it's kind of our Constitution Day. There's always mm-hmm. a bit of political problem around that. Mm-hmm. But New Zealanders don't really celebrate it as, a, as a day of New Zealand. Yes. Some do, but the majority don't. Whereas you look at Australia Day, mm-hmm. and it seems like it's a pretty cool day in Australia. So we make Queen's Birthday New Zealand Day. 
Right, nice. You like that idea? No qualms there. Yep, see? Well, yep. you've got John on my we side. Get a, we get a new flag as well at the same time. Well, you're stuffed up there, John. You're <laughs> stuffed up. You had your chance. You dropped the ball. <laughs> I did vote, but I did vote for your, yeah, for your case. Yeah, I did agree. I, I would have walked out if you hadn't. <laughs> you were pretty passionate about <laughs> that one. Okay, last week I came up with a genius idea. So much so, the Mountain Snail even rang, sent an email saying, Bevan, you're a genius. And I said, I'm glad you finally saw it. Uh, and the genius idea was... The Hunger Games of Triathlon. Concept Here it is. The concept is you have to choose one triathlete from the history of the sport to represent you in a race where you and them will die if that person doesn't win. The race was a 70.3 uh, that can be from any athlete in the history of sport and they were at their peak and they can use any technology. So they can use the technology of the time and we want both your female and male athletes. And then I put, let the games begin. <laughs> Good old Mountain Snail John Hancock said, I thought Alexander Brukankov, he's an ITU athlete, uh, not pretty to watch, but hard as nails and might be useful for Lucy Francis's option. Don't know what her option was, haven't read that yet. And Chrissy Wellington for positively balance, po- positivity balance. And she was hard as nails too. Fist pump. Uh, who was the guy you talked about? Alexander Brukankov, he was he's a Russian ITU guy. He, he, he didn't, don't know if he ever really won a race, but he's always in that sort of third, fourth, fifth. Is it because he's just, Russian and Russians? Yeah, he was just ugly. You go, you look at the guy and you go, you're not an athlete. Okay. And then he would get like fourth or something like that and just, but, but it, from the first step on the run, you'd think the guy's about to keel over and die oh, really? and uh, he'd hang in there. Toby Chanel's got uh, Frodo and he's actually got a picture of Frodo from Lord of the Rings, which is a good effort. Frodo will take this one and Reef, of course. So he's just gone, what's current? That must be the best of all time. Um, Rob Dallymore, we've got to call Rob Dallymore A plus now because he's an A plus rider on Zwift. Spank my Bottom again at the weekend. Uh, well, that's why he's A plus and you're not. Well, yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. uh, he said Lessing and Chrissy, neither of them were great, the greatest 70.3 athletes, but their powers combined, they would be uh, a movable force. But the problem is you don't really know how Lessing would have done it at 73. I know later on he might have done something, but in his peak, mm-hmm. you would have backed him, wouldn't you? Hell yeah. I reckon Lessing's going to be yours. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Hewitt Chin's got... Mecca for his mind games. He'll pick the race apart months before and plan accordingly. Plus, he'll piss, <laughs> piss off the other athletes and get in their heads. Chrissy Wellington for the female. If you read a book, she'll do or die in every aspect of her life. And she's shown that she never gives up. Or Nicholas Berg. One an Ironman without really training. 237 marathoner and has won countless ITU distant races. Girlfriend would be on. Girlfriend would be on fire. A uh, number of people are loving Macca here. Um, Travis Macca's George, a good pick. Macca's a good pick. Travis George is Jan Fredino, but Macca in his prime over 70.3 would be my other choice. How good was Macca at 70.3? Sorry? It wasn't really a big thing then. That no. was the thing, that, that whole era. And even though it was high, high, remember it was half Ironman. Yeah. So I'm sure he was, he was good at it, but it wasn't really a big thing. But um, you think he would have been pretty great. Because, been you know, you think if he, and his, let's say, because unfortunately for Macca, his, his career's, was his Ironman career was pretty crap for a long time, mm-hmm. but if in that first period when well, he no, came his, from his, his Hawaii, yeah, oh, sorry, was crap. Yeah, that's actually a good call. Yeah. yeah, he never delivered at the World Championships, but he had great races outside of Hawaii. Mm. But he came from ITU. If you get in that first couple of years of post ITU, yeah, it was solid. That would have been a pretty good. Uh, Travis George also said, "Hard to say, Ali Brownlee, given Yarn has beaten him." Okay, we've got Martin Bell here. 
uh, nor hit his prime over the long distance. But yet, Ali Brownlee wouldn't be beaten by anybody on his day. Likewise, Nicholas Berig is pretty much the same. 237 marathon is rapid, and no ITU pedigree that suggests that she would have taken some beating if she had focused on 70.3. Greg Bramwell said, one new, one old, uh, one not so. Gustav Eden, who's our current 70.3 world champ, and Aaron Baker. Now, I see Greg running around the park. He's a big big runner. Runs off a crew around the park when I'm coaching in the morning. Yeah. He's always got a great smile, great daughter. He's a great man. Good stuff. No, no, no. Neil Hastings just agrees with Martin Bell. Yeah. Great minds think alike he's got here. I always wondered how Spirig would have been in long course if she had focused 100% on triathlete. That bike uh, she has would have built her lead and she wouldn't have even needed to run as good as the other one. She would have been beast Spirig. Um Why didn't she just she just had a focus? Yeah. Just, and like family and whatever. Um a few others. Um, Scott Horn says, Alistair Brownlee, Louis DiGiuseppe, no surprises here. See, he says Molina. And Scott Wittenmeyer says Mark Allen. Well, Brett Chan's gone Molina as well. He's gone, I'm going to take it a little bit further back in my choices he's got here. I expect that there'll be some bias towards current recent athletes. I'm going to take a New Zealand couple. Mm-hmm. Scott Molina, we'll take him, he's a Kiwi. And Aaron Baker. You have to pick the guy by the nickname Terminator. That's a good point. And I'm confident, given Aaron's reputation and race history, that she would treat the race like a life and death event that it is, and no one would be better prepared. Last one I'll do will be Joseph. Uh, no, I'll do Ian White Lightning Hersey. Uh, I'm not even sure if he's hit his prime yet, but Blumenfeld. And then the females would be Zaveris. Okay, and I'll choose one more. I've got Joseph Mohul, and he's got a, uh, jo- Gomez. It's from a homeland. There you go. Nice. Oh, no, no, sorry. Uh, if it's nation, if it's any nation, you go Gomez. If it's from a homeland, Alistair Brownlee. Nice. Okay, John. Here we go. Well, y- s- your life depends on it. You've got to pick a male and a female, so two two scenarios. So I'm just sticking with what my instincts were from last week, and I've got the same answer that I would have had then. I would have gone for Simon Lessing, yes, so you I were right we on you the males, yep. and... Emma Carney on the females. Emma Carney? Mm. Why Carney? She was just the one of the most competitive people I've ever seen. Just intense, intense competitor. Uh, and seemed to be extremely good at bearing herself. Lots of other names on this list would be equally as good. And Erin Baker probably springs to mind um, for the female side of things. Um, Simon Lessing was just mainly because it was my era when I was sort of growing up in the sports. So I sort of um, idolised him, but just thought he was the business. And then uh, Emma Carney was, was much the same. It was sort of when I was growing up with the sport, they were the big things. So that's why I've got a, a favourite tag for puts them. puts a spinner in the works, doesn't it? Yep. Because if you go short course, who do you say then? Do you still go Lessing? Um. Yeah, Lessing was the business at everything except Ironman. <laughs> but yeah. even then, he didn't race Ironman in his prime. Are so you, you pick Lessing over Brownlee? Well, no, Brownlee would be a quicker athlete. But, but in his death. era, you've just got to choose people how dominant the they were death. in the era. Um, and in his era, Lessing was easily as dominant as Brownlee was in Brownlee's era. So that's why. And you can say the same thing about Mark Allen over Ironman. You know, he was just dominant. How was Mark Allen in his short course? I know he won a world championship, but... Uh, he was great, but not what? as dominant as what he was at uh, Hawaii. Like he would so get of beaten. those boys at the time, who was the best short course guy? Was it Molina? Well, it was Molina and Allen. Yeah, was toss it? up between those two. Again, there's not that much coverage of those races, so no, we go uh, off. We, we don't even talk about the Ironman. Like I know we talked about the, the big um, four. Molina was a business at Olympic distance. Was he? Yeah. Oh, you rock, Molina. But Mark Allen on his day was, uh, I think, fairly formidable over any distance. So the question is, who do you think is going to have the fight? 
to not want to die, <laughs> which yeah. is which is a pretty big. And so you need you need. I'm really surprised that nobody put Lionel like, Sanders down there. Oh, that's a good question. Because that's one. Or even Craig just, Alexander. Yeah, but Lionel Sanders is someone you see. You're not going to be surprised if he just falls over and dies in the middle of a race. Yeah, and Kenley. Um, yeah, Sanders seems to just have that ability yeah, just to does, does go hurt. next level. Who would I go? My thinking was Mecca. Because mm. the thing about Mecca is <laughs> there's a way to make it work. He's mm. going to, you know, but... But he wasn't consistent, mm. you know, at, at, least at the World Championship. And that was the key race where you're going to die. Now, he got there eventually, but it took him 67 years. So, oh, and, and oh, I don't know, John, it's such a hard question. <laughs> I am going to go Mecca for the mm. guys. And then in the female, 70.3. What about like a snow soul? Yeah, she would have been awesome. She only ever really did one distance, so um, and she was a beast, but wasn't she? She was, but probably not so much on the bike. So that's her running. She was probably the most beautiful runner you'll ever see from a, from a triathlon point of view. Well, her and um, Miranda Carfrey, but uh, her bike would be probably let you know her down what? a bit. I've got to go for it. I know it's a weak answer, okay? But it's if my life depends you, on it. You've just gone from picking your female back to your male. I know, but if my if if if, 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 it's just, if it's, they come to the door now, and they say, Knocking. "Okay, it's happening yeah. right now." Yeah. You got your choice. Make your choice. Mm-hmm. I'm going for it. Frodo. good. You will die with Lessing. Yeah. <laughs> and then the females. Very similar athletes, Frodo and Lessing, though. Were they? Good. Lessing was a great... So yeah, they're both great swimmers. Lessing was really solid on the bike. Maybe not quite as solid as Frodo. And, and I'd probably say Lessing maybe was a bit better. Lessing the had the arrogance, but didn't mm-hmm. he? So like, Lessing, Frodo? Yeah, no, no. Frodo's a nice guy. Yeah, but he still comes across there. I know when you meet, you've met him, he comes across nice, but oh, he's a he's top got guy. That arrogance about him as well. No, so. no. Listing is the guy who walks in the room and just thinks I'm better than everyone here. Mm. Frodo walks in the room. He's a nice guy, you know. Mm. You know, and like I'm sure he's confident. Obviously, he does, mm. but he's not an arrogant guy. Mm. Listing is. The first time we interviewed Listing. So here's what happened: the first time we interviewed Listing, yeah. we get on the call. This is years ago. We get on the call. We go, hey mate, and he did this. Real dry joke, eh? Yeah. <laughs> and and we just thought, oh my god, this guy is really arrogant. And he goes, boys, I'm joking. <laughs> and we were like, oh. Um, and then female. Oh. So you now you, Chrissy, you're gonna go Chrissy, aren't you? You got to, don't you? There you go. You got to because a pedigree, results. You can go reef, mm-hmm. but I think Chrissy just knew how to dig harder. Okay. You know, I, it's unfair on reef because reef. We, she hasn't had that many situations where she hasn't where she's really had to show us that she can push but she's delivered amazing results so you know but or Erin that would be mm-hmm. I'm going to go actually I'm going to get Erin there you go because she'll fight for our country there you go God deep as long as you're going to do flag she would <laughs> that's right so there we go there are the, uh, the hunger games of triathlon now John's come up for Great question this Great week. Great one this week. <laughs> Here we go. The question is, I men have come up with their own virtual racing series. What would you like to see brought into the racing races, the virtual races? There you wow. go. It's <laughs> going to be a big response this one. <laughs> the whole sh- next week's show is going to be dom- dominated by this. Dedicated thousands, to it. Thousands and thousands. Okay, let's go. Put some music on. Here we go. Pro of the week. week. Okay, now we're going to be speaking about a, a former Olympic level athlete. 
uh, Emma Pallant. And the reason I brought her name up is because she won the virtual racing last weekend and she's also been uh, extremely prominent in Zwift racing. She seems to be racing all over the place. Uh, so she's, she raced, uh, we did interview her in Kona, I think the last time we were there actually, and she was a really nice girl. Um, so former Olympic runner, gave short course a shot in triathlon for a while. Uh, she also is a world duathlon champion. She's a 70.3 specialist, so she won her duathlon title back in Adelaide in 2015 uh, and there was actually an article on Ironman on her fairly recently. She's actually been done her sort of lockdown period in South Africa. Um, so she's also an Aquathon world champion. She won that in Penticton in 2017 but probably her most dominant performances are over the 70.3 distance. Hasn't really shown a lot of um, world championship pedigree with regards to, to the to iron distance racing especially with Kona and the time we did interview her she DNF'd in, uh, in that race uh, but she has had some good performances she when she went to Austria she got third with a 9.03 but when you look at her 70.3 she got second in South Africa which was one of the last races of this year when it was back in I think it was back in March. She won Lanzarote 70.3. She won one in Portugal. She won one in Pays Stakes in France. She won in Ireland. She won in, Aust- uh, in Staffordshire, Barcelona. So lots of W's in the column for 70.3. Yeah, so nice. look out for Emma Pallant. Uh, she's doing lots of racing and lots of winning and won the virtual race last weekend. Good stuff, Emma Pallant. Hopefully we see you do Better at Kona next time. Uh, Jombo, let's go to our interview. We're going to interview with the author of The Athlete's Gut, The the Inside Science of Digestion, Nutrition and Stomach Distress by Dr. Patrick Wilson. Here he is right now. Okay, guys, um, today we are talking The Athlete's Gut, The Inside Science of Digestion, Nutrition and Stomach Distress, which is a book by Dr. Patrick Wilson. He's got a PhD, registered dietitian, uh, exercise physiologist and specialised in gut function for athletes. So welcome along to the show, Patrick. Great to be here. Thanks for the invite. So t- tell us a bit about your background um, in terms of both you know, academically working and, uh, and whether you do venture into the athletic world yourself. Sure. So I'm originally from uh, Minnesota here in the United States, and I did most of my schooling you know, in various uh, universities across the state. So I started off uh, with an undergrad degree in dietetics at a school called Minnesota State Mankato, and then I did an internship at the Mayo Clinic to get my registered dietitian's credential and then proceeded to go to grad school for exercise physiology at the University of Minnesota. So I was there for about five years and then spent a year in Nebraska doing a postdoc in sport nutrition and then finally came out to my current position at Old Dominion University in Virginia in I think it was 2015. So I've been here about five years. And in terms of my own background, I grew up distance running, basketball, track and field. Um, you know, I was pretty athletic. I love sports. I never got into the super long stuff. Uh, you know, I, I've done half marathons, lots of distance races. I was training for a full marathon probably, it's been 10 years, uh, and ended up with a torn labrum, had surgery on that. And I, I've never really been able to put on a huge amount of mileage without getting injured. So, uh, I certainly have not done the the Ironman type races, but I, you know I've done all sorts of sport uh, activities throughout my throughout my life. 
So you, you, you've released your book. Maybe just give us an overview of the book. You've kind of laid it out into three different parts. So first of all, what was the motivation? And just tell us a little bit about the book. Sure. You know, a couple of years ago, I decided I want to write a book. I don't exactly remember all the motivations for that, but I first thought, well, maybe I'll write a sports nutrition book because that's definitely in my wheelhouse and figured out pretty quickly that there's a lot of books like that on the market already. And, you know, I do a fair amount of research on gut issues in athletes and people who are exercising. So I started to think seriously about devoting an entire book to it because it's such a common problem, particularly in endurance athletes. And my main question was, you know, could I really get a full book out of it? And the more I, you know, started writing, I realized that, yeah, I mean, uh, of any, if anything, my problem is going to be fitting everything in uh, into the page limits that um, I, I had from the publisher. So, you know, it's been a couple year writing process and it came out uh, this last month. And as you mentioned, basically, it's a three part book. So the first part I go through a review of the anatomy and physiology of the gut. I try and keep it pretty lighthearted, entertaining, uh, with enough detail uh, that, you know, people understand what's going on, but not so much that it's, you know, overwhelming and unnecessary. And then the second chapter of that first part, I go through, you know, roughly 10 symptoms that are commonly experienced by uh, athletes during training and competition. And the reason I do that is because there are different causes for different issues. And unfortunately, sometimes you just hear the term gut distress or gut problems, and you kind of think it's all the same thing, when in fact, really, it can be quite different depending on the situation and depending on what symptom you're really looking at. So nausea, reflux, heartburn, fullness, bloating, cramping, constipation, side stitching, diarrhea, loose stools. I kind of go through them all and explain what are the possible causes for each of those symptoms because they they do differ uh, in different situations. So that's the first part of the book, kind of set the stage. And then the second part of the book is completely devoted to nutrition. And I kind of go through that part starting with energy, carbohydrate, protein, fat, fluid, sodium, and then training the gut. Uh, and then the last part is devoted to psychology because that's really an underappreciated, I think, part of controlling gut issues, not only in athletes, but in people in general. So I devoted a couple of chapters to that explaining why, you know, things like stress and anxiety may affect gut function. Uh, and then what are some strategies athletes can use uh, to maybe minimize some of those issues? Uh, the, the last kind of section of the book are there's a couple of appendices where I talk about gastrointestinal disorders and then medications that affect the gut. Uh, so it's basically a three-part book plus two appendices. Nice. One of the things I liked about it and when I was looking through is you kind of, you've, you've gone to every possible symptom there is and, and I was thinking, what else, other complaints can <laughs> where, where can I get them? What, what are issues, because you, you mentioned, you know, on race day for, for Ironman athletes, you know, some might be constipated, some might get diarrhea, some might be vomiting, some might get um, lightheadedness, etc. And, and you, I thought you did a really good job of going through each one and creating, I don't know, was your sort of mission to try to give a fairly balanced view because you didn't seem to take a really strong position on things like low-carb, high-fat or, or high-carbohydrate diets. You kind of explained both sides of the story and all the different um, scenarios why symptoms yeah. might come up. 
Yeah, I think that's an accurate characterization of my approach to this stuff. I mean, I'm a scientist, I'm a researcher, so I try and be pretty unbiased. And you know, even if I personally choose to follow a particular diet, I'm not going to necessarily say that that's optimal for everybody. So I, I try and provide balanced evidence when we get into things like low-carb, high-fat diets versus higher-carb diets with respect to performance and then also gut function and symptoms. I try and provide kind of a, a overview of the pros and cons of both approaches. So you're not going to generally hear from me like clear, this is what I think you should do, uh, because I think it depends on the person and depends on what problems you're experiencing. There's not a one-size-fits-all uh, fits all approach that's going to work for everybody. And that's part of my reason for explaining the different causes for these symptoms, because you probably are going to have to take a symptom by symptom approach in some ways uh, to get a handle on some of these issues. Uh, so just by default, there's not going to be a one size fits all easy, simple solution for everybody. And you mentioned that a few times in the book as well, you know, with regards to race nutrition, it's often a bit of trial and error because not everybody sort of uh, tolerates different forms of carbohydrate in the same way. So for, for, for something like sports drinks, you know, um, when you are going through that sort of trial and error process, rather than just going and picking off different brands of sports drink and just working your way through all of them um, what are some of the things that people should be looking for in terms of the labeling and in terms of the carbohydrate structure just so they can maybe try to speed up that um, trial and error process if they are having issues sure yeah sports drinks and selecting in race fuel gets you know pretty complicated in part because the demands of different events vary and uh, hence, your need for fluid and fuel is going to vary based on those uh, event-specific considerations. But some things you can kind of start off with, if you're going to be ingesting a lot of carbohydrates, so if you plan to really be aggressive about your nutritional approach, and I would define aggressive as you know more than probably 45, 50 grams an hour. So if you think you're going to be consuming like three to four gels per hour or uh, carbohydrate from any other food or beverage, uh, then we, we have pretty good scientific evidence that it is a smart idea to choose uh, carbohydrate sources that have a mix of glucose and fructose in them because those sugars use different little transporters in the intestines to get absorbed. It's basically like when you use a mix of uh, glucose and fructose, it opens up extra uh, on-ramps and off-ramps to the freeway uh, allows you to to move traffic along in your gut. You can kind of think about it in that way. So that's I think that's pretty clear based on a, a bunch of studies, including research that I've done. Uh, so that's a basic rule of thumb for athletes who do plan to have kind of an aggressive carbohydrate intake is to make sure that if you look on the ingredient list, there's something that lists either glucose or uh, maltodextrin plus something like fructose. Uh, would be what you'd want to look for on the ingredient list. Nice. Other than that, um, you know, it comes down to a lot of personal preference, but I would say another thing you want to take a close look at is the carbohydrate concentration and then just the beverage kind of osmolality. So osmolality is just a scientific kind of jargon for the amount of uh, particles or solutes dissolved in a solution. So really concentrated beverages – um, certainly can cause more gastrointestinal issues. I mean, we see that pretty clearly 
in some studies where they kind of give a, a full diesel version of a carbohydrate beverage and then one that's a little bit lighter and the more concentrated stuff consistently causes more nausea, reflux, bloating, that sort of stuff. Uh, so that's a, another just very basic starting point is once you start to get start to get above 10 to 12 percent carbohydrate by weight, that's when it becomes much more likely you're going to have uh, GI issues. Excellent. Cool. One of the things I did want to go into, and we'll have a few questions on this, is um, I really like that you brought in the role of stress and anxiety into how that affects the gut. So, you know, lots of us will have experienced, well, I know, if, on race day for me, I'll be going to the toilet probably about four to five times before race day. And I'm, I'm not a particularly nervous person before racing, right. but it's that you know fight or flight sort of in me, and I'm just clearing out the system. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so maybe just talk us through about the impact of anxiety and stress on the gut, um, and, or maybe just give us a bit of a summary of that, that sort of section of the book, because I think it's something yeah. that people don't really pay much attention to. They immediately think, how much carbs am I consuming, and, and what's my power, what's my heart rate, but, but this is quite important. Yeah. You know, you see anecdotes throughout kind of sporting history, not only in endurance sports, but like in uh, basketball, for example, Bill Russell, you know, the center for the Celtics uh, back in the, I believe, 50s. Uh, he commonly would have uh, pregame nausea and vomiting, um, especially before big games. And there was even one anecdote where the coach, uh, Red Arbach, uh, asked the team to leave the floor during warm-ups and go back to the locker room because he still hadn't heard Russell throw up. And he kind of thought that that was a sign that the team was ready to play if Russell was amped up enough that he would throw up in the bathroom. I'm not sure if that's 100% true, but that's at least you know a, a, a story about Bill Russell and some of his issues. You know, in more contemporary times, there's a offensive guard for the Philadelphia Eagles, Brandon Brooks, who has been pretty public about his issues with competition-related anxiety. And he's had vomiting severe enough where he's had to be hospitalized before wow. for any miss some games so you know it runs the gamut from like yeah you feel a little queasy before an event because you're nervous to you know really impacting your performance and your health so there's definitely a range there now in terms of how it works you're kind of obviously you're in a sort of a fight or flight mode you're getting amped up before a race you're anxious you put a lot of time and effort into your training and you want to make sure that things go well on race day so there's a lot of reasons people can feel kind of um, extra anxiety or stress. And what happens is the brain will secrete something called corticotropin-releasing hormone. And that hormone uh, causes changes in the nervous system to kick on sympathetic stimulation or sympathetic drive. That's kind of your fight-or-flight branch uh, relative to your rest and digest branch, which is your parasympathetic. Now, what that does to the gut is it kind of slows things down up top in the stomach and speeds up things down bottom uh, in the colon. And what that can translate to is slowed stomach emptying, meaning maybe more fullness, more nausea, more bloating. And then in terms of the bottom half of your gut, uh, an urge to you know have to defecate or go number two, use the restroom um, more than normal. So it kind of has dual effects uh, that are not good on both sides of the gut. And obviously it varies from person to person in terms of how extreme these things can be. Uh, but for people who really struggle with this stuff, I mean, it's it's a major problem, not only during competition, but it, during their everyday life. So, so I, you know, I've done some research on this in the last couple of years now and have published papers confirming that there's at least a correlation between 
self-reported levels of anxiety and stress and the incidence of these problems in endurance athletes. And so because a lot of people listening to this will be thinking you're talking to them right now. What would be your advice around how to deal with this? Is it really just trying to put good stress and kind of anxiety strategies in place so you don't trigger that side of the gut response? That's the theory. And, and hopefully we'll run some interventions here in the next couple of years with uh, runners and triathletes and cyclists to see if that's true. In the book, I'm basically extrapolating based on studies that have been done from people with like IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and, and dyspepsia, which are what we call functional GI disorders, where there's not like a structural cause. It's um, thought that anxiety and stress play a major role in a lot of those cases. And we see studies that'll use, for example, deep breathing or mindfulness or cognitive behavior therapy, and you, you do see reductions in the severity of their symptoms. So I, my, my guess is that this stuff would translate to an athlete if they're stressed or anxious uh, in their everyday life or even before competition. Exactly how uh, we would best implement some of those interventions, I think we really we just don't have research to say. Um, personally, in my own experience, slow deep breathing has been pretty effective to help dampen my anxious thoughts and deal with some gut issues. And I think that's one that's pretty easily applied on race morning. So, you know, personally, if I was going to try something, that's probably where I would start because it's a pretty easy thing to do. Maybe target like five to six uh, breaths per minute and with equal time in the inhalation and exhalation phase. Uh, and also counting them can help you kind of be more mindful of what you're doing. So the combination of the deep breathing plus the mindfulness um, has some potential to, to help people deal with these issues. Nice. <clears throat> one, one area that you, you did go through in the book um, was re- with regards to, to sodium intake. Um, and I remember I was looked into the, uh, this in quite a bit of detail last year when I was doing a bit of study in terms of you know, sodium relative to, say, cramping. But with regards to sodium, electrolytes, etc., cetera, uh, in relation to, to, to gut um, function um, what do people need to be aware of because again there's a lot of marketing jargon out there and people trying to sell you this that and the other thing so what are some of the key sort of take homes with regards to sodium and electrolytes um, in yeah. relation to gut function so some sodium in a beverage or a supplement certainly can help facilitate uh, fluid absorption I mean if you look at products that are actually specifically made to rehydrate people like if they've had a you know a nasty gut bug or something like that you know Pedialyte or those types of products. I mean, they, they certainly contain sodium and glucose because that can help uh, more efficiently allow for fluid absorption and um, at least speed the process. So, yes, there is some effective electrolytes. What I would say for the most part, though, is if we look at performance and hydration, the studies that have just supplemented people with sodium pills or capsules you don't really see any benefits. You don't see any better performance. Uh, You see small to negligible improvements in physiological markers. Uh, And then in a couple of studies, the dosages were so high that some people actually had nausea from the sodium supplements if you get into really high dosages. So I'm not saying that they're, they're harmful in most cases. I would say whatever you find in a sports drink is probably gonna be sufficient for helping to facilitate fluid absorption, anything on top of that, at least the scientific evidence does not support um, using a lot of sodium supplements and pills to you know, prevent cramping, to improve performance, or to 
uh, prevent things like hyponatremia. I, there just isn't good evidence for it, despite the fact that it's still a pretty popular uh, supplemental uh, approach to take. So, so you're wasting your money? I, you know, I, I'm hesitant to say that there is no benefit because one exception to this, you know, point that I'm making is that most of the studies are not using exercise durations that are super long. Okay. A couple of these studies have been done in, I think, a half Ironman situation and then a full Ironman situation. But it, it's hard to recruit people for studies where you're exercising for eight plus hours. And those are the situations where if sodium is going to be helpful, that's where it would be. So I'm a little bit hesitant, a little bit more hesitant than some others to say, no, there's no benefit whatsoever. I think based on the evidence we have um, for events that last a couple hours up through, um, you know, maybe 12 hours, it's not clear that there is a benefit. Beyond that, maybe, maybe not. Um, it's, it isn't clear. I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's hard to do those studies in part because the exercise durations are so long. Yeah. Just, just you know, good old-fashioned gut health, you know, for everyday people. What are, if we're going to go, give us your top five tips, what would they be? Yeah, that's a, in terms of gut health, if we're going to take it outside of the context of um, sport and just think about gut health overall, I would say, you know, eat a diet that has – uh, a moderate to large amount of uh, fiber. I mean, there's still some debate about the health properties of fiber. I mean, most of the uh, evidence is coming from correlational studies, meaning people who eat a lot of fiber tend to have lower rates of heart disease and certain types of cancers. Now, people who eat a lot of fiber do other things that are healthy for them, so it's hard to prove. It's definitely because of the fiber. Uh, but based on other shorter-term feeding studies, we're you up the fiber in people's diets. Uh, there's other positive health changes that would seem to confirm that, yes, a good amount of fiber in the diet is good for your, your overall cardiovascular health and your digestive health. So that, that would be something I would certainly recommend not only to athletes but to, to basically anybody who's looking to improve uh, their health. Another one would be, this is really relevant for a lot of endurance athletes, is be careful about over-the-counter uh, anti-inflammatory pain medications, so non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Uh, I'm not saying that using it occasionally is is bad, but if you're regularly taking close to the max dosage listed on label, that is generally not going to have um, positive effects on the gut. Right? Those medications basically block these enzymes that are involved in producing protective factors. Um, that promote the health of your stomach and your small intestine. And when you ingest those NSAIDs regularly, it reduces the production of some of those protective factors, making you more prone to things like ulcers, GI bleeds, and uh, gastrointestinal pain and, and cramping. So especially with athletes, um, you need to be careful about how often and how much of those NSAIDs you're using for a number of reasons, but one of them is definitely their effects on the gut. Uh, so I, I know it's a delicate balance, um, and it's sometimes hard to uh, to get through a race or training session without taking something on occasion. But uh, yeah, just be wary of the dosage and frequency. Awesome. Uh, I mean, I, I, in terms of other things, it's hard to generalize because in the book, what I try and do is say if you're experiencing these problems, these are the approaches you want to take. Uh, for general gut health, you know, eating a good amount of fiber, uh, making sure you're getting enough sleep is another one. It's, it's a lot of the same stuff you'd recommend for general cardiovascular health uh, and optimal health overall. 
Okay. We've got a question here from one of our listeners, Mick Simpson. He says, and there's a large group of community of Ostomate colon removal athletes on Facebook. He's just wondering, is there anything they should be thinking about specifically when it comes to race nutrition? You know, I've seen some articles and other anecdotes from, you know, marathoners and uh, endurance athletes who have ostomies. And um, to some extent, it's probably going to vary depending on uh, what part of the gastrointestinal tract that ostomy is placed, like how high up in the gut. The higher up in the gut it is, the more maybe problematic it can be to feel and hydrate during an event. You know, unfortunately, there's there's not really any real good controlled research with fueling and hydration in those athletes or those individuals during exercise. Uh, so we're mostly just extrapolating based off of uh, other evidence. But, you know, doing things like uh, making sure to adequately hydrate throughout the day before your event in large part because, you know, the colon is a site of water reabsorption. So if you're missing your colon, uh, that can certainly pose a challenge to uh, maintaining your hydration. Um, and then during exercise itself, there's no magical recipe, but a lot of these athletes or individuals who have ileostomies uh, will anecdotally say that using um, you know, beverages like a Pedialyte or something along those lines that's been designed to uh, rapidly result in fluid absorption seems to be helpful for them. Uh, beyond that, it ends up being you need to kind of use uh, your training sessions to practice your feeling and hydration to figure out for you individually what seems to be best tolerated. Nice. Um, we had one final question from Phil Cole, um, and this is a good one with regards to, again, wading through some of the marketing um, we all receive, is what is your opinion on probiotics and prebiotics? Because obviously they can come in different yeah. forms and different strains, and uh, so, yeah, maybe just give us uh, some, some tips around pre and, uh, probiotics and prebiotics. Yeah. I mean, so your colon is home to probably – you know, 30 to 50 trillion bacteria. I mean, that's Whoa. more bacterial cells in your colon than in uh, your own human cells in your entire body. Now, obviously, those bacterial cells are a lot smaller, so the actual mass of those cells is, is you know, obviously much smaller than the mass of a human. Uh, but in terms of sheer numbers, there are a lot of microbes, uh, and they're very much concentrated uh, in the large intestine. So it's it's natural, I think, to think, okay, if I take a probiotic, which is basically a supplement with living uh, bacteria in it, that that has the potential to modify this environment in my large intestine and in my gut in a positive way that's going to influence health. So I, there's a natural attraction to think that way. I think the difficult part becomes the implement, uh, implementation, and that's because there are so many different probiotic products and each of these species and strains is maybe going to have a slightly different effect. It's going to depend on the dosage. And it's going to depend on what reason you're taking the probiotic. So I would say figure out why you really want to take a probiotic. Um, and from there, try and find some actual studies that have used a specific strain so that you can actually replicate what they did as closely as possible in terms of the product and in terms of the dosage. Uh, because if you go onto a scientific database and try and search just studies randomly, you're gonna get hundreds of different probiotics that have been used. And as I mentioned, they don't all do the same thing. Uh, so you need some level of specificity. Mm. With respect to athletes, the best evidence to date is that they may help reduce the uh, either the severity 
or the incidence of upper respiratory tract infections. So over the course of you know the winter or whenever those infections are typically the most common, taking a probiotic may have a moderate effect at reducing either you know how likely you are to get them or if you do get them, uh, the severity. With respect to actual gut function during exercise, there's more mixed evidence. Uh, it, they don't clearly dramatically reduce gut symptoms. They just don't. <laughs> mm. So they may have a, a modest effect on reducing symptoms during exercise, but from the studies that have been done, it's not like you'd expect to go from having major issues to no issues at all. That's an unrealistic expectation if you're thinking about taking a probiotic. Um, so there's probably other things I would start with before probiotics. Uh, if you've got major gut issues, you'd want to try and identify what are the underlying causes if possible. Um, and if you can identify the underlying causes, then maybe trial a probiotic uh, to see if it has any sort of benefit. But I would forewarn those individuals that it's not likely to be a huge benefit in terms of gut symptoms from the studies that have been done to date. Fantastic. Okay, guys, so the book again is The Athlete's Gut, The Inside Science of Digestion, Nutrition, and Stomach Distress by Dr. Patrick Wilson. You should be able to find that online at all the usual places or go to velo, velopress.com. Uh, so Patrick, any, any ways people can follow you um, or, or any other things you want to get across to the Ironman audience? You know, yeah, you mentioned the uh, the website there for where they can get the book. Uh, and I'll pull up my Twitter here. I want to make sure I get the handle right. <laughs> nice. uh, it's, uh, let's see here at sportsrd underscore PhD. And that's where I do most of my sort of uh, posting on gut issues. I'll, you know, post studies that either I've done or that I think are relevant um, related to either performance or the gut. So that's probably the easiest way for people uh, to keep track of what I'm up to. You know, if they want to send me an email um, at ODU, it's pbwilson at odu.edu. Brilliant. Love your work and um, look forward. I'm going to read that book uh, back cover to cover. Cover um, to cover even. There we go. Get the back page read. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for your time, Patrick. Yeah, thank you for the invite. It's uh, always enjoyable to talk about this. John, your thoughts? Oh, I'm looking forward to reading this book cover to cover. Um, had a scan cover to cover, that's right. through it. No, it's going to be great. Uh, and the reason we why, haven't why, read why it, are you so excited? Well, uh, firstly, the reason why we haven't read it yet is because uh, it's it's on its way from the states. I had I ordered something for Thomas's birthday, which is next week, and yet. it's uh, been six weeks, and it just made Auckland Airport from Australia oh, okay. in about six weeks' time, so that's why this book, we haven't got it yet. I normally like to have a good read through books before we do interviews, but I said to Bevan before the show, oh, I should have just read this book before I did my four years of study, and I would have been all sweet. Uh, I, what I liked about it is it just covered all the different scenarios and sort of gave you, right, this is your problem, these are the likely causes, and you just got to kind of kind of just try this, this, and this, so it was... Uh, fairly simplistic and I think it covers all our bases for rather than just going reading a book on sports nutrition it's covering pretty much everything we need if you've got any sort of ailment uh, so I just like the look of it and and the fact that it really brought in the, the discussion around stress and anxiety and, and how big an impact that can have mm. uh, I thought was really good as well because your go-to is just okay I'm doing something wrong here when you actually should maybe be, maybe your nutrition's perfectly fine and it's trying to deal with the anxiety and stress is, is your big issue. Okay, so you can get, I'll put a link to that book on the, our website, www.imtalk.me. Okay, John, let's have a look at Winger of the Week. Oh, John, did you watch the Lance Armstrong documentary? No, I have not watched that yet, no. I'm, I'm kind of, I, you guys know my attitude on Lance. I'm not a big fan at all, and but I will, oh, really? I will watch it. I'll say, um, I've decided I won't. 
Oh, really? Yeah, because I, Swanee Noah, because I, I, on Facebook, uh, Richard Swan was saying, or someone was saying they're going to watch or, or Where Can You Find It? And Swanee Noah kind of watched the first episode and I said, oh, what do you think? And he said, just the same old stuff. Kind of worth watching, but if you if you know, you know. Yeah. You know, and so I, I don't think it's going to really confirm anything. He's still at all. Apparently the ratings are really poor. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, apparently in America, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they're saying the rating was really poor for it. They're probably contrasting it to the Jordan documentary, which was a mind-blowing one. But mm. um, yeah, so there you go. Right, so... Winger of the Week. Okay, so let's go six, because Lance Armstrong, we won six Tour de France. Mick Baker. He did a whopping 46 minutes swimming, so he has done some swimming. Uh, he did 26 hours and 26 minutes. Uh, he rode 16 hours and 46. What is he, 26 hours and 26 minutes? Yes. That's a big week. From 15, yeah. you got to do... Well, 62 hours was Danielle Payton, who was first... Eight activities, so she must be doing some uh, epic tour. And Mick also ran eight hours and fifty-four minutes. To give you a perspective, to get in the top one hundred, I didn't make the top one hundred this week. Uh, Thirteen hours and forty-seven minutes. So you're doing a fair amount to get in the top one hundred on our leaderboard. Uh, so Mick, let's see, Mick Becker. He's from Anchorage, Alaska. Nice work. Uh, and like a lot of people in lockdown, we've got a fairly significant increase in training volume through March, April, and May has been above anything else he's done since June last year. Granted, you're obviously coming out of uh, coming out of winter, but still a fairly significant increase there. So yeah. nice work, and hope everything is good in Anchorage. Yeah, totally. Um, good stuff. And okay, let's go questions yeah, and answers. And it's more just a bit of a uh, suggestion here. Who sent it, John? You look out who sent it, and I'll and I'll and I'll because um, we've got to give them the love. Uh, this person just sent through. Hey guys, uh, both you. Hope you're both keeping well. Who's your latest podcast? Good luck with the prep for the Everesting job. How is the prep going? I'm not planning on doing it anytime soon. I'm still thinking about it. I think I've got the the hill I'll, I'd use. I'm not really interested in doing. Uh, it was Rory Spicer, Spicer okay. I think. Yeah, okay, okay. Yep. I'm not really interested in doing a, a, a virtual one on, on Zwift, so I'm going to have to wait till the weather gets a bit better. And, uh, maybe what, who are you going to do? I'm thinking Hackthorn Road. Oh, nice. I can come visit you. You can. You come and do a few reps. Where would you do? Would you go from... Just the bottom to, to the, the intersection, probably. I think that's going to be the best, best one. Yeah, because a bit of relief. Yeah, just a little bit too much traffic. That's it's all. Oh, I suppose you're going to be there And the turnaround's not that great at the bottom. You want to do it on a non-school day because mm. it'd be pretty it's pretty hectic around there and then. Okay, basically he just sent through a podcast um, listening to the Everything World Record Keegan Swenson um, are from the Ask a Cycle Coach Trainer Road podcast on Apple. He just said it was a really good interview if you want to check out you know around this stuff there. So, so the, the oh, excuse me, keeping me up. Yeah, same. The world record got broken last week by... Uh, Phil, got Phil ga- Game On or something like that. Like, um, Phil and, Game On? Uh, something like that. And then this guy broke it straight afterwards. Did I tell you last week about how they broke in the Cannibal Run record? What's a Cannibal Run, Bevan? So the Cannibal Run record <laughs> is how fast can you drive across America? Guys take it extremely serious. Run across America. No, no, sorry, drive. Oh, drive. Oh, oh Cannibal, right, yeah. The move, like the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, right. but but these nowadays it's like serious serious stuff yeah you know and they've said because covid the record's been broken like 20 times in the last month yeah and so um and just but i read an article on the detail that they go to man they have trackers along the way for police the whole way Mm -hmm. and you have to start like at the same shop and finish at the same garage Mm -hmm. and uh but 
just the amount of thinking that goes into it and they drive like it's absolutely stupid but but um, they average something like about 100 or 200k an hour or something for the whole stupid yeah but it's been broken because of COVID everyone's gone actually here's our chance mm. so there you go okay John let's look at our patrons Thomas is going long nice <laughs> Andrew working on the night moves Seeger because it's from Bob Seeger and Rob the Greater Cummins <laughs> just thinking your night moves John I, I, maybe I shouldn't ask <laughs> uh, honorary mention to David Doherty for completing all of the course badges on Swift it's quite a feat some other, I'm sure there's plenty of others that may have done this, but this is quite a feat. So How many badges are there? I'm going to say maybe 30 or something like that. Yep. Uh, so you've got badges you can do to get, like, say you've done 500 yeah. watts for five seconds or 1,000 watts, etc. Uh, actually, the, maybe there's one he hasn't got. Well, we can't give him the credit then. No, he's done all the, <laughs> he's done all the courses, okay. a few bonus things you can do. Um, but to ride all the courses is quite some achievement. And there's some quite long rides there. You have to do the London PRL, which is the one at the end, 176 kilometres. Yeah. And then there's an, a bunch of other ones that are in that sort of four to five and a half hour range. Uh, so he took them all off. So it's a good achievement to do you know, during lockdown. And the one I'm not sure if he's done is 25 times uh, Mount uh, the, the Alp de Zwift. That's quite a few How long does it take you go up, up the Swift? Uh, hour plus or minus 10 to 15 minutes. So 25 speed. times that? But not continuously like accumulate 25 climbs oh, up there. Oh, okay, okay. Not sure he's got that one. But in terms of all the courses, it's ticked all those boxes. So if anybody still is in major lockdown and you're wondering <laughs> what to do, uh, start ticking them off. Here's a question for you, John. Uh, I know we can get back to normal training. Mm-hmm. You back in the pool now? You back in the pool? Yep, back in the pool yeah, this morning. Because they're poolies when he turned up to my third, house. Third swim. We're starting to make a little bit of progress this morning. That's good. Uh, is, will, will you change anything about your training from what you've learned through this experience? Uh, mainly the only thing for me will be to do Zwift racing because I, I do really well on racing as preparing for events. And because I organise most events, I don't get to do that. And so Zwift has been a fantastic way for me to, to really level. put myself under a bit of pressure. And uh, and so that's probably the one thing Do you really care when you're Zwift racing? Like in comparison to a normal race? Uh, I, you care more when you're doing, say, a try and Z race and you know the people you're up against. Okay. When If I was to do, say, just a random race, then the, the care value is probably a little bit diminished. Yep. Um, but no, I think it's a fantastic training tool. I won't be... I'm definitely enjoy riding outside, yeah. but at the moment it's convenient. And uh, but it's definitely when I build my next event, um, I won't be doing it every week. But when I need to just toughen up a little bit mentally and physically, uh, it will definitely be a part of my um, weekly regime. Well done, David Doherty. Okay, John. So just to wrap things up, uh, thank you to all the patrons. If you want to become a patron, go to dub dub dub. I am talked up me. It's all very clear on the website. And you're supporting the boys and doing what we do. Also, if you want to get show email to your same website down the bottom of the front page, just put your information in. If you want some coaching, coachjohnnewson.com. My podcast. I released a podcast yesterday. It was it was kind of random and out there, but some good. Maybe some good stuff in there. Uh, BevanJamesIsles.com. Uh, website of the week. Edge Grippers and other feedback. Go to. I am talkpodcast at gmail.com. John, your goss. It's a question for you, Bevan. Here we go. Did, did you drive? Did you go into the gym? This is a Tuesday morning over here to go to the gym. Yeah. First up, you drive. Yep. You consistently take the car on Tuesday mornings. I never bike. You never bike? You used to. This is no, no, I haven't biked. Once we moved up the hill, and let's get an electric bike. This is maybe a question for the audience. How far out from the curb <laughs> is it acceptable to park your car? Actually, two weeks in a row. Drove. Here, drove. Okay, well, Joe needs to be told off. Yeah, I'm, blaming, I'm putting the finger on here. I'm saying the last two weeks, is you're pushing a metre there from the uh, from the curb. 
It's, it's drive, getting out there. Drive, drive. Yeah. Hey, it's my curb. I can do what I want. Well, it's a hazard for other people. So, Especially around here because around that, around that bend, so our street is basically coming down, it's kind of downhill a little bit, and then there's a really narrow. sharp bend, mm. and it's quite steep. Mm. And cars fly around that bend. God. Yeah, so you do have to be a little bit careful. So that was my... We need a new car, but so you smash that car next time you come out. Oh, yeah. You have to be insurance on people. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Uh, so, yeah, did a little Zwift race at the weekend. One thing that was entertaining our Zwift race that you didn't really realise till afterwards is they accidentally had drafting turned off. So you're busting your balls oh. trying to hang on to people. And you thought they were just killing it, but you and, actually... And normally in a, in a race, it really bunches up. It, like you just smash it off the line, yep. and then it kind of bunches up, and you're still smashing it. And the plebs like me, because I'm a pleb in A-grade, you're just hanging on for dear life. And But it wasn't bunching up, and it was just strung out. And I was like, what the hell? I'm just killing it here. <laughs> and you're just losing wheels, and you're falling off. And and anyway, you've kind of... Where'd you get? I actually did quite well. I did got... F- 15th or 17th Who or something won? like that uh, some German got disqualified he was oh so this is not the Trans one it is but anybody can enter okay. um, but Braden Curry was uh, second uh, so yeah why did the German get disqualified uh, that's the whole thing with the, the Zwift power if you're not registered on that and if that picks up anomalies uh, oh, or if you're not on a smart train you get disqualified and stuff oh, okay. because you can just produce crazy power so um, that was uh, interesting on Saturday trying to hang in there but it ended up producing the most power that I've ever done um, in a race before oh wow so that was good you've got the power got a, yeah. I got the power and outside of that Bevan did a little bit of mountain biking smashed my leg on a mountain bike pedal which Where'd you is go? still pretty sore into the adventure park um, I ran I, have you ran that uh, such no such a good run it's yep. pretty challenging. It's pretty steep at yeah, points. Yeah, it is. Um, so I said the afternoon. The only thing is, if you do the run trail and you want to go to Summit Road, you've got to know there's a point where you've got to jump over to Walsley. Because mm. I ran right to the top and I go to the goal, where do you get up to? He's like, oh, you can't, mate. <laughs> <laughs> because the the, uh, the tracks, they won't let you run up the mountain bike tracks fair enough. So I had to run back down and find this path. And Bevan, I watched the league. Oh, the league. So Wait, I- How cool was that, but? Yeah, so for, again, you guys, we always have league discussion what? most weeks, because especially there's none of the sports. So what did you think of the crowd uh, noise? Great, but in Australia, the, the rugby league was one of the first sports that almost started worldwide. There's a bit of football going on, but yeah. it's one of the first con- real con- first contact sport to get going, uh, and our Warriors were playing. They've had to move to Australia, they stay won, over there without no their family. no one was picking them to win, because the, they, they weren't looking that good this year anyway. They and then, miserable. Yeah, and then they... And then they, uh, you know, they set a what, record. They had to go to Australia. It was looking really bad, and they won. What was the record? They're a real inconsistent team oh, in terms of fumbling and things like that. And so, I don't know, I'm trying to think. I don't really follow American football, but you have your downs and all that. It would be like you pretty it much had the whole game with no. You no, completed no, every play. Yeah. So every every down you have whatever it's called. You, made it you completed it. And they didn't score that many points, but they did really well. But they just, they're not the kind of team that does the basics right. No. They've got flair. And they always and they got all the basics right. Yeah. So one thing they've done, so and so one thing, that, so it was A, they've changed some rules that have made the game even more exciting. So it's a lot mm-hmm. faster, which is really great. But one thing they did is they made crowd noises. And there's a bit of a story behind it. So what happened was they went to some American firm who said, oh, yeah, we can do crowd noises. Mm. Cost you two million bucks. I'm like, screw this. So they went to one of their sound guys at like ABC or Channel 9 in mm. Australia. And they said, can you make something? So he went and listened to, he got sounds from last two years of games. And he got mm. like lots of, tackle number one, he got lots of sounds of this. Mm-hmm. Tackle number two. And then he created this computer program for 3,000 bucks. And he's basically playing like a piano. 
Mm. When he's it's maybe not a piano, mm. but like you know, you, so when you're actually listening to the sound effects of the crowd, it's really applicable to the game, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. And you can contrast that we see a bit of the football on our it's news, boring, and you just you hear a pin drop. Yeah. Just, oh, this is horrible. Even though it's a ten second highlight, this is horrible. Yeah, because I was I was I was because I, I watched about six games a week on the way I got right into the league. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the league, um, and so. Uh, the first game, I, didn't, I just forgot even that we were in a crowd there. And then I was like, oh, shit, that's crowd noise. The only time I noticed was when they take a kick a, 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 a kick over the post, yeah. a penalty. Then you see, oh, there's no crowd. The rest of the time, didn't even notice. Oh, I'm loving the league, John. Love nice. the league. Anything else happening in your world, Bevan, other than watching league? <laughs> John, what did I get up to the weekend? No, not a huge amount. Um, I went for that run. I was pretty happy with that. It's a beautiful run. Mm-hmm. You should do it. It's a great run. Mm-hmm. Even if you take Thomas, or oh, that's a pretty tough run, but he's a fit kid. Yes. You can run up and then catch the gondola down. Mm-hmm. So you can drive to the park. It's only 5K up. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I tell you what, saw a photo of your, your, your family without you. They went, yeah. Mission without you. Yeah. <laughs> Did you take the photo? I was taking the photos. We went walking in Norton Bradley Park. Your boy's starting to look like a man now. Yeah. He's, starting to, he's probably getting his pubes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's two of them on that front. <laughs> Uh, so you know, like he's, you know, I, was, I, was, I haven't seen him in a while. I was like, oh shit, he's becoming a young man now. He got flipping. Is he taller than you? Pl- no, he's not. What place did he get at the weekend? He got like smoked it in B grade. Oh really? And he, yeah, he's absolutely caning it on the cycling. Oh, that's so, good. Yeah. Um, and he buries himself. He like just about falls off the bike at the end. It's quite impressive. The only thing that sucks in my life right now, John, is if this bloody COVID hadn't turned up. I'd probably be in somewhere like Bali right now. I'd be in Hawaii right now. Yeah. I'd be just about to get on the plane to come back, but I would have had... And I really would like to be in Bali right now. But we're okay. Nah. I'd not. <laughs> not to be in Bali right now. <laughs> okay, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha.